Lord, as we look at your word this morning, uh, personally convicted uh, by the issue, the topic for today, and just ask you to bring more of yourself and more of your freedom to each one of our lives right where we need it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We are, this is the fourth week of a five-week series on building your life on a rock. If you remember, our key text was Matthew 7, 24 and 25, where Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them or does them or keeps them or obeys them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Then when the storms of life come, the foundation you have is sure, it's significant, it's substantial, and you're able to weather the things that come your way. The first two foundation walls that we've put up on that foundation of God, both the person of Jesus and his word, that rock foundation, we've put up two walls already. Both of those had to do with forgiveness. You remember week one was, or the first wall was, forgiveness. We saw in Matthew's gospel that Jesus said, if you don't forgive others their sins against you, your father won't forgive you. That this wasn't specifically tied to salvation, but in your relationship with God. He who has forgiven the unpayable debt you had requires you and I as his followers, as those who know him, to forgive others, their lesser debts against us. And then we saw with the second wall that not only that, but that we are not free to build on a rock foundation if others have some legitimate gripe against us. You remember Mark 11 said, if you're making your offering before God and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering. And go ask forgiveness. Go seek restoration with your brother. Make restitution where that's required. There was a little bit of confusion. I might just add here today. Some people, if you have a sensitive conscience, you know the way this works. The people who need to hear what you're saying, they don't. The people who don't need do. People with sensitive consciences, when you talk about this, they're ready to go through their all of their life and go back and talk to their first grade childhood friend whom they stole the apple from, so to speak. And the friend doesn't know anything about it. The passage was, if your brother has something against you. That is, there's some edifice between your relationship that your brother has against you. You could try and make things right that somebody else might say, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't remember or so forth. So anyway, just to clarify briefly, that God said, if it's not right between you and others, you need to make it right as far as you're able to for you and I to have our ongoing relationship unhindered. Today, the third wall that we're putting up, the third of four, uh, we're going to go into Genesis chapters 2 and 3. You can turn there. We'll be there long enough that uh, you're welcome to go there if you want. And we're putting up the third wall uh, on our rock foundation, and this is the wall of obedience. Obedience. I thought it was interesting. Sometimes when I'm teaching, I turn on the radio on my way here. When I was teaching through Daniel, I heard two or three other uh, teachers on the radio teaching through Daniel. When I was teaching through Revelation... I heard two or three other radio teachers teaching on Revelation uh, related to the issue of obedience. And actually next week's last wall, I'll just give you a hint, is faith uh, was being taught on the radio this morning on my way in. So I think God's confirming that we're in the right place. In Genesis 2, following the primary story of creation, we get to 2.15 after Adam's creation. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. This was his job description. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, 
from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat you shall surely die. And I just want you to remember Jesus' words in Matthew 7.24 when we go through this. If you hear God's word and do it, keep it, obey it, you're on the rock. God commanded the man saying, from anything you can eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge you shall not eat. God's word, God's command. Skipping up into Genesis 3. When the woman, verse 6, saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. God said, don't eat. She ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. God said, don't eat. And he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you gave me. There's all kinds of things we can talk about here. We're not going there this morning. The woman you gave me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate, and I disobeyed. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. I disobeyed. Verse 16, To the woman God said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, yet he shall rule over you. To Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, instead of God's, I can add, and have eaten, have disobeyed, have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, do not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall grow for for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you'll eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. You're dust, and to dust you'll return. You talk about a foundation of sand or dust in this case. Think about this. Related to Eve, Eve disobeyed the command, the, the only command, and just put this in perspective too. Remember, God says the whole thing's yours. Do whatever you want. One caveat, one exception, one command not to do. Don't eat from that one tree. Everything else, you're good to go. There's only one exception. Everything else, you're good to go. Don't eat from the one tree. Eve ate. She disobeyed. The fruit or the result of her disobedience, direct disobedience to God's word, is pain in childbirth and enmity, frustration, if you will, in her relationship with her husband. Now, remember, in the order of creation... Eve was to be subject to Adam. Uh, If you entertain feminist notions, one of the feminist arguments, this is free, this has nothing to do with the rest of the teaching. Uh, 
Eve's subjection, submission to Adam was before the fall. Women's subjection, submission, a wife's submission to a husband, women's submission to men's leadership is not part of the fall. It preceded the fall. And what happened in the temptation, Satan tempted the one in submission, in the, in the position of subjection, and got them to come out from underneath their role of submission. That was Eve. And turned the thing on its head so that Eve took the leadership role and Adam followed. And that was the line of disobedience. And that's that... That uh, temptation is with us today, but, but see also the temptation to Eve to come out from underneath her role of submission. This is what Adam did too in his disobedience, which we'll talk about here more in a minute. When they disobeyed, they as those under the submission of God came out from underneath their appropriate role of submission and said, we will do as we please. And remember the whole proposition about Jesus' words Hearing God's word and doing them is obedience. It's staying in this role of subjection to one that we're under authority to. So even in the temptation, although Adam will be blamed, God's not confused by this blame shifting in the story. He blames Adam. And so does the New Testament. But this this, uh, temptation to come out from underneath God's Uh, the submission and the roles of authority God had given, that was the temptation. That's a key role of the temptation. But look at what Eve got. She got pain in childbirth. See, she was promised knowledge. She was promised she'd be like God. What she got was pain in childbirth and also this desire, this part of the, uh, the fruit is this frustration where Eve, the one in submission, it says your desire will be for your husband. This probably isn't in, uh, maybe in some of the ways we might think, but probably relates to your desire will be to rule over your husband. Your desire will be to be in control, but you won't be. Your husband will be in charge over you, but you'll have this natural desire to be in charge, but it'll be frustrated. So Eve's disobedience, she ate, she disobeyed the clear command. She got pain and frustration. That was the fruit. Adam got, all his work is cursed. Remember beforehand, one prohibition, only one. There's only one way to disobey God, eat from that tree, only one. But otherwise, he gets the run of the garden. And remember, Adam was working before the fall. The fall didn't produce work. Adam was working. He was the cultivator of the garden. And he got to enjoy any fruit in it. And see, there were no thorns and thistles. There was no downside. Everything grew just the way it would perfectly. And he got to enjoy it in its perfection. So now because he ate and directly disobeyed, his work is frustrated. Now instead of just being able to do something it turns out right, to plant it and it grows, now he gets thorns and thistles. And his call to provide in the garden, to be a provider for his family, Eve, it's going to be frustrated. There will always be thorns in the garden. It's true to this day. That was the result of his eating and disobeying the direct command not to eat. He got frustration in his work. Eve got frustration in her family. There's this downside, downside, downside. They're building on sand. God says, you're dust, you're sand, and that's what you're going back to now. They wouldn't have died apart from that. Now just think with me for one moment on the grand scale, on the grand scale. 
one act of disobedience. Those two words, he ate. One act of disobedience casts the entire world and all of humanity and all of time into death. He ate. Those two simple words, one act, one bite, one act of disobedience has caused, just think just for a minute, on the cosmic scale, the world scale, every act of hatred, violence against another person, every murder, every Hitler, every frustration in a relationship, in work, Every downside you can think of in the history of the world ties to one act of disobedience. To the two words, he ate. He ate equals he disobeyed God's word. He ate, he disobeyed, and the fruit is Adam and Eve threw all of their descendants into death through one act of disobedience. See, they thought we're going to disobey the clear command and we get wisdom and knowledge. We get to be like God. What was all a perversion? They were like God. They knew good and evil because now they're evil. They chose to believe Satan instead of God and so they joined Satan in death through one act of disobedience. Now, if I say to you, how big is eating an apple? or the fruit, whatever it is. How big a deal is one bite? No big deal, right? And in a sense, it's not. As far as an action with initial consequences, how big a deal is it to take a bite of anything? It's no big deal. The big deal was God said, don't do that one thing. Don't do the one thing. And they did. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, when you hear these words and you don't do them, you get sand. They got literally Dust. You're from dust, from sand. You're going back to it. They got death. The promise was one thing. The reality was another. They disobeyed. And not only did they die, they died immediately spiritually. They died 900 years later. They became the dust they were made from. They cast all of humanity into death. So that when we look back on the history of the world, the world we live in still reflects God's glory. And we still reflect God's glory in our humanity. But it's so twisted and perverted and distorted because it's all tainted by death and that death, all the death in the world you can think of comes from one act of disobeying God's clear command. It all ties to one act of disobedience. Paul mentions this in Romans 5, theologically on the big cosmic scale. Romans 5, 12, through one man, not Eve, through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. On the cosmic scale, all sin, all death, all foundations of dust and sand tie back to this one act. Everything you can think of. Fortunately, For Romans 5.12, there's Romans 5.18. Through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life. In Adam, and we won't develop this, but I just want to point out on the big scale, the cosmic scale, Paul takes up this same thought in Romans 5 to say, cosmically, the whole world scale, all of death goes back to one act of disobedience in Adam. 
And so in the future, and we get a taste of it now, all life is tied back to one act of righteousness. And the one act of righteousness was Jesus, God the Son, obeying God the Father, hearing God the Father's word and doing it, which was, not my will, God, but the Father, but yours be done, dying on the cross for your sins and mine so we could be restored to the Father. That's the one act of righteousness that produced life. In Adam, Adam disobeys the one thing God says don't do, and all of us get death, and he did too. Jesus does the one act, the key act, the ultimate act of righteousness and obedience and makes provision for life to all. But on the cosmic scale, the world scale, all of humanity, all of history, all of the death you can think of, all of the frustration, any downside you can file and catalog goes to that one verse, those two words, he ate. One act of disobedience brought death. And let me read just again to put this in the perspective of our series, Matthew 7, 24. If you hear these words of mine and do them, obey them, keep them, the rain will descend, the floods will come, the winds will blow and burst against your house and it won't fall because you're on the rock. You get life, you're stable. But if you hear my words and don't do them, disobey, don't keep them, phrase it any way you want, you're foolish, you're like Adam and Eve. And the rains will come and the floods will come and the winds will blow and burst against your house, your life, and it will fall. Because it's on the sand. It's on the sand. The Genesis story is particularly helpful. In fact, we're going to look at this again next week in a totally different perspective related to the issue of faith. But this story is particularly helpful to talk about the theme of obedience and disobedience and why this is such a big deal related to two key things. The first is Adam and Eve were created They were creatures created by someone else. So they were inherently subject to the authority of someone else. They were not creators. They were creatures created by God. And as such, their role, if you will, was God's here and they're here. God was an authority over them, the authority, as he is always the key authority. But their role was to be subject to their maker, to their creator. So for them, just to be true to the essence of who and what they were, to be subject to God by doing what he said meant that they were occupying the role they were meant to. Cars are meant to drive. When you drive a car, that car is fulfilling its design. You know, when you eat a great meal that someone has prepared, that meal is serving its purpose. It's it's nourishing someone else. It's fulfilling its purpose. When Adam and Eve were obeying God, They were fulfilling their purpose. That was the essence of their being. They were creatures created. So they were meant to obey God, the creator. For them to come out from their purpose was to distort who and what they were. And that's the same for you and I today. I love the old Bob Dylan song in the days when he claimed Christianity. He wrote a song, You Gotta Serve Somebody. And his theme was, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you still got to serve somebody. See, you and I can't help it. We are not autonomous. We do not rule our own life. Even when we think we do, we don't. There are forces greater than us in the world. And ultimately, God is ultimately sovereign. But even in the world we live in, and especially for those who don't know Christ, they serve Satan. 
even if they don't know it, because He is the God of this world. He is the authority over this cosmos, this world system. So guess what, guys? If we're in the world or if we're living for Christ, we serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord. It's never ourselves, ultimately, because we're not autonomous. We're created. Somebody's always above us. So for them to obey meant to keep and to fulfill the role they were made for. Pure and simple. The other one is this. God is, in His essence, in His person, God is always and only good. He is goodness. There is no good apart from God. Psalm 119 says He is good and He does good. He is inherently good. He is holy, meaning in God, there, He is so separated in His essence, in who and what He is, there's no thought of anything deficient in His person. No taint whatsoever. James says there's no shadow. There's not even a shadow. If evil is black, God has not even a shade of gray. He is perfectly holy, perfectly good. What this gets down to is this. If God tells Adam and Eve not to do something, do you know what? That commandment to them is good. If God tells you and I to do something, do you know what? That commandment is inherently good. It can't be otherwise, because God is good. So if He requires something or prohibits something, it can only mean good for you and I. That's all it can be. To obey God can only be for our good. To disobey Him can only be to harm ourselves. If you don't hear anything else this morning, this is what you need to hear. To obey God can only be in your best interest. Can't be otherwise. To disobey God, no matter what you think you're getting, no matter what the short-term payoff is, no matter how you justify why it's okay to disobey God in this little thing or this one time, to disobey God at all, in any time, to any degree, in any circumstance, can only be to your harm. Can't be otherwise. God is only and always good. To disobey Him brings death. To obey Him brings life. This is exactly what Jesus said. You hear His word and do it, you get life. You get a rock that can't be moved. That's the fruit. Disobey Him, you get death. You build on sand, can't be otherwise. This is incontrovertible. You cannot, this is, this is better than the laws of thermodynamics or anything else. This can never be otherwise. You can bang your head on the wall of this truth. You'll hurt your head. You won't change it. This will always hold true. Can't be otherwise. Satan is still convincing people today, just the way he did Eve, that to obey God is really to lose all the fun and the good things in life. And you know, frankly, you and I buy this. I guarantee, unless you're sin-free, and I don't see anybody here that that I know is sin-free, and I'm sure not. Unless we're sin-free, we all buy this to one degree or another. We buy little lies in one area or another about why disobeying God's actually a good thing, or to our benefit in some way. That's a, it's a lie from the pit of hell. It produces death every time you believe it and act on it. And we will come back to this next week, because this is, this is actually the touchstone of all this. In the end... You and I act on what we believe to be true. 
And so to the degree that you and I disobey, which we know rationally can only bring death, it's really because we believe something else is true. And we'll talk more about that next week. But Satan still pushes that lie. No, you won't die. It won't bring harm or death, this little thing and disobeying. It's really okay. You know, it's easy when you're reading the stories about someone else to, you know, you say, boy, they sure blew it, didn't they? Adam and Eve, I can't believe those guys, you know. You know, if you leave this at the, the academic level, it's not going far enough, is it? You've got to bring this thing home where you and I live. You've got to make this personal. And we turn the light, we take the magnifying glass off Adam and Eve, and we take that truth about obeying God's word and disobeying it, we put it on ourselves and our actions and our beliefs and what we're doing and what we're not doing. And let me just, <clears throat> just ask a few questions, start making some application here. Gosh, there's all kinds of things. You know what's funny, too? Before the fall, there was only one way you could do wrong. Only one. You know now, you can do wrong in a billion ways. You can do wrong in every innumerable imagination of your mind. You can sin now. Do you know that our whole bent from birth is sin? So that the whole process of hearing God's word and obeying and therefore getting life and building your life on the rock It's got to be proactive on your part and mine, or it doesn't happen. Because our whole bent is the other way. So now, for us to hear God's word and obey and get the fruit, we have to work at it. Because if we don't, it's a given. We'll be in sin. That's where it'll be otherwise. So just ask yourself, in the arena of your mind, how are you doing? Are you obeying God's word in the arena of your thoughts, the place nobody else sees but you? Are you obeying God in the arena of your thoughts, in your relationships? Let me ask some pointed questions. When God says to let his word live in us richly, does it? That's a command in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you read God's word? Are you in it every day? If you've known me very long, this is the one thing I always come back to. Are you in God's word every day? If you're not, how can you be hearing and obeying? You can't. Does his word dwell in you richly? It's a command. If you're not obeying it, you're building on sand. When God says, guys, flee youthful lusts, do you? Flee youthful lusts. He tells you to stand and fight other kinds of spiritual battles. Lust, he says, turn and run. Do you do it? When God says to love your wife in a sacrificial way that you lay down your life for, do I? (laughs) do you do we as husbands or as husbands and fathers responsible for children are we raising our children in the nurture and admonition of the lord that's our command as fathers do we wives do you submit to your husbands do you support them you're commanded to do you do it When God says children to respect your parents and to obey, do you? And by the way, I would tell you that this command to honor your parents is not left to children because it's enjoined on adults in the epistles. It doesn't mean that there aren't times when you'd need to disobey your parents because you understood God was requiring you to do something else. Grown children 
are enjoined in the New Testament to honor, provide for, show respect to their parents. Do we? When God says to do your schoolwork or your employment or whatever else you're engaged in with a full heart to honor Him, do you? Do we? Or is it slipshod work? Are we punching a time clock? You see what I'm saying? It's not Adam and Eve biting the apple. It's you and I at home and at work and at school. It's in our mind. It's in our words. It's in our actions. It's everything. We've got to work at it. Are we like Adam and Eve, disobeying, direct command, disobeying, and building lives on the sand, or Romans 5.12, or Romans 5.18? Are we like Jesus, doing those righteous things, hearing God's word, obeying it? Guys, then we're on the rock. Your life won't be shaken. It'll be secure. It will be sound. In closing, let me tell you a story. This is a true story. The names have been changed to protect the guilty. Uh, Leon was an important government official. And he knew this guy, we'll call his name Raul. And uh, Raul was born to a humble family, humble guy, humble means, didn't think very highly of himself and not very important in in the world around him. but, But Leon saw something in him. And Leon said, Raul, I want you to join in this government. I want you to take this high role in government, and I want you to come and help run this country. And uh, Raul was, was humbled on one hand and, and thought, boy, this is great on the other. And so he, he takes it, and he's kind of self-conscious about it all, but, but thinks, okay, I can do this. And, and so things are going along for a little while, and and then uh, his friend Leon comes and says, Raul, we've, we've got trouble. There's trouble on the border. The enemy country on our border, they're causing huge trouble, and we, we need to go down and take care of them. And you need to gather the army and go down there and take care of them. And Raul says, no problem, we can do this. So he gathers the army, and they go down. And they fight the battle. And they win, sort of. But Raul sees some good-looking young gals, and he thinks, well, hey, you know, they'd be, they're part of the enemy camp, but they're very attractive, and that looks good. I think I'll bring them back. And some of his fellow army guys, they see the same thing. And see, they, they needed to get rid of it because his country was a real thorn in their side. Everything they did or touched, it affected them. And, and so they really needed to make sure they cut off all contact with them, and they didn't quite do it. They didn't quite do it. And so they brought some of it back, and and Leon says, what'd you do? What'd you do? Do you recognize the story? Do you recognize my distortion? Yeah, I know, I know. But anyway, in 1 Samuel 15, Raul is Saul, isn't he? See, and God gives Saul a direct command through Samuel. He says, go and destroy the Amalekites, man, man woman, and child. And remember, this sounds incredibly harsh to our ears, and it is, God told Israel as a distinct nation if they did not free themselves from the input, the influence of the pagan nations around them, what would happen is they would in fact devolve to the idolatry of the pagan nations. They would die individually and nationally. And God meant them to be a city on a hill, this light, that the Gentiles would see God in His holiness and they would come to it. And so He said, you, gotta, you can't have any of them in your country. So you've got to get rid of them entirely. 
So Saul did take his army, and he did go down, and he did destroy the Amalekites, but he didn't really obey. He spared the king, and they spared the best of what was down there, and they brought it back. And listen, this is 1 Samuel 15, 17. When Saul was trying to convince Samuel that he really obeyed, Samuel said, Is it not true, Saul, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the, of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission. And he said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, fight against them until they are exterminated. Why did you not obey? Why did you disobey the voice of the Lord? Rushed upon the spoil, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Saul said to Samuel, no, but I did obey. This is, does this sound familiar? This is blame shifting. This is Genesis 3. I did obey the voice of the Lord. I went on the mission that the Lord sent me on. I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, those dirty, rotten people, they took some of the spoil, the sheep, the ox, and the choicest things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And there's all kinds of other things we could say here, but this is the point. Listen to Samuel. 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. If you haven't memorized these verses, they're imperative memory verses. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken or to heed or to obey is better than the fat of rams. Rebellion is as bad, I'm paraphrasing, rebellion is as bad, it's as wicked, it's as evil as the sin of divination, of witchcraft. And insubordination, disobedience, is as bad as idolatry, worshiping other gods. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you. <clears throat> Saul says, in the big thing, I obeyed God. You see, it was just these little things I didn't obey. And so no big deal. Because I did the big thing, and just in these various areas that, that I figured it was okay to disobey, that's what I did. But really I obeyed, but in a little thing I didn't. And Samuel's word to Saul is God's word to us. To obey is better than good intentions. And anything else you can think of, to obey is the thing. To do it. Instead of, God, I'm going to disobey in this thing, but I'm going to serve you in ten other areas. You know the phrase about if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all? There's a huge truth in that. I think it's misapplied sometimes, but... You see, as long as I'm free to decide in what ways and to what degree I will obey, do you understand that I'm still God? He's not. That role of subjection we talked about earlier, if I'm making the decision in what ways and to what degrees I'll obey God, I am God because I'm in control. He's not. I'm not subject to God when I decide to what degree and in what ways I will or will not obey Him. I am holding out the position of God for myself. Ultimately, you have rejected the word of the Lord and God has rejected you. This is building on sand. And I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this to parents. 
you need to be holy tyrants requiring obedience from your children if you're a parent with children and this is the reason because when your children are required to obey you you are training them for the role of the subject to their superior you are training them that when they leave your home they understand I am the created not the creator I'm the one who obeys I'm not the one in charge so that when they grow up and come to know Christ in salvation they understand I am called to obey God to little children parents are God that is the relationship you have you are God to your children when they're little they don't get concepts they don't understand concepts until they age this is why scripture says Proverbs says as a parent if you don't diligently pursue this is chasing picture this in your mind your children are running and you're chasing them you're gonna catch them they're not getting away it says that you pursue your children diligently with discipline with training proactive and retroactive this isn't all about spanking although certainly corporal punishment negative discipline however you want to say it is part of the process it's training in the big sense in fact Proverbs says if you do not chase your children with discipline it says you hate them you hate them why do you hate them because you're not doing right by them because doing right by children is requiring their obedience they're born with a sinful bent and if you let them go their own way they're going to sin and so you strengthen the sin in their own heart when you don't train them to obey so then they grow up and guess what they carry that same way they've interacted sinful bent personality I obey when it pleases me mom and dad and now I grow up as an adult I do the same thing towards God and so guys this is this is uh, I can't say this too strongly if you're a parent and you're not pursuing your children with discipline and you're not requiring obedience you're cursing your children you're setting themselves them up for life on the sand and it's going to crumble and they will fall there's no way around it incontrovertible can't be otherwise it will happen this is the role of parenting it's fun to have kids and they coo and they're cute and all that and that's great and moms and women especially like that but but we're all born sinners and the role of parents is to train a child to obey because the ultimate act of obedience is reconciliation to God the ultimate act of obedience is to obey God and as parents we're training our children to be in right relationship with God by being subject to us in their infancy so they'll be subject to God as they grow up and kids need to know this verse out of 1st Samuel 15 22 and 23 kids need to know that we need to know it little bits of sin little disobedience it's not okay we're serving somebody we're building on sand or rock and it's directly tied to who we obey to what we listen to when we obey when we hear God's Word and we do them we keep them we obey it frees us from being something we're not from coming out from underneath our role as a creature from coming out from our role of being subject to God it frees us to be who and what we are and also when we obey it leaves us free to enjoy life 
Remember, God's good and He does good. When you obey Him, you get life. Your life is on the rock, can't be otherwise. When you disobey, you get death and sand, and it can't be otherwise. So when we're obeying, when we're listening to His Word and we're obeying, it's, it's freedom. It's not shackles. It's life. It's not death. Let's just take a minute uh, quietly right now and ask God if there are areas in our life that we're not obeying, that we're not heeding His Word. If there are areas that you know you're at odds with God over, there are areas that you know you're disobeying Him in, you need to confess that now and ask for God's help to obey in the future. Let's just take a minute to do that each now. Father James says we all sin, we all err in many ways. First John says if we say we have no sin, we're lying. Lord, the truth is as long as we're in this body, we are going to fall short of your standard of complete obedience in one way or another. We'll always need to confess and be restored to you and to each other, and we accept that. But Lord, we want to be characterized as those who embrace your word and do it. Lord, we want to be characterized as those who are in your word and are obeying, who recognize that you're good and you do good. And when you tell us to do something, it's for our good. And When we keep your words, we're building on the rock. We're building an unshakable foundation. Lord, help us to treat you as God by refusing the role of God ourself and by deciding, determining that we're going to obey you and obey your words and help us to understand that to do so is life. Lord, one act, one act of disobedience brought death, murder and mayhem, shut us out of a perfect world, all of humanity, and one act, Lord, of righteousness in your Son, the Lord Jesus, has brought life from death Lord, we want to walk on Jesus' side. We want to be characterized by obedience as he was. Help us to do that. Help us to build through obedience, Lord, our lives on the rock. In Jesus' name, amen.